Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. To love as God loves. One of the purposes that we are here as a church is to love as God loves. I think that would be the purpose of any church, but we have, we have kind of earmarked that particularly for us at First Apostolic Church. And let, let me back up and just explain just a little bit. Uh, the mission of any business company, and particularly churches, is this. That means that everything we do should be filtered through our mission. Everything we do should be filtered through our mission. And whenever we have outreach endeavors, whenever we have Friday night, family fun, game nights, filtering through our mission, that even an attempt of, of playing board games or cards or whatever it is that we're doing, that we're going to try in some way if there are, are guests there. And I, I've asked you, you know, bring guests to those. That's a great opportunity that in that in that setting, we're going to try to love. We're going to try to love as God loves. I don't have a scripture setting that I'm jumping from today. Brother Mason, just to let you know, because I don't want you to be 30 minutes later and he still have that right there. You know, but I appreciate him doing that. Amen. And so to love as God loves, consider it today uh, for many that may have not been there two years ago on Wednesdays whenever I brought up the subject matter of our mission. That statement, that phrase, and I think it was God that, that uh, laid this upon Bishop's heart. However many years ago that's been now, Bishop, whenever all that uh, devising came about. But laid that on Bishop's heart to state it as such. Because just basically to say to love would have meant that that love would have been subjective to every person that read it. Would have been subjective to every person that read it. But God, ordained of God, the phraseology was to love as God loves. And that changes the dynamic of everything whenever you say to love as God loves. That sets then the benchmark for First Apostolic Church of what our love should reflect and what our love should be like. What our love should be like in intensity. What it should be like in consistency. The type of real true type of love that that love should be. The love of God, we have said many times from across this pulpit, yet it bears repeating today. The love of God is the agape love. It's the agape love. It's a love, it's a type of love that is un conditional uh, really in our human minds it's hard to wrap our our understanding around a love that's unconditional a love that's not uh, postured in such a way you scratch my back only if I scratch yours postured in such a way that you don't have to do anything in order to receive this love but the unconditional love of God is that type of love Leslie Parrott said it like this. She said, this unconditional love is expressed in abounding goodwill toward people who may or may not have earned it and may or may not accept it. To show this love, they don't have to have earned the love, the love of God, nor do they necessarily have to be well receiving of that love. You love them in spite of earning it. You love them in spite of even if they receive it or not. The agape love is the love that's granted to somebody who ultimately this, they need. They need to be loved. 
And that's really the dynamic, I say, of the love of God. The love of God needs to be to those who actually need to be loved. I'm not saying those that, <laughs> that receive love already don't need to be loved. But if anybody needs love, it's those that are not loved. If anybody needs love, it's those that are not necessarily what you might term the lovable type or the lovable kind. And here is, here is something that's very important as a church, and that is this. We cannot fake. Everybody say fake. We cannot fake loving people. They will see through it. They know the genuine from the fake. They know the genuine from the fake. We either love them or we don't love them. And the reality is people know, again, if we love them truly or not. And so, so most people wish someone loved them unconditionally. There's people in the world today, even within this church, that would wish someone would love them unconditionally because we live during a time in our society that people are begging for attention, They're begging for attention. They're wanting somebody to notice them. They're wanting someone to pay attention to them. They might deny that to your face, but by their actions, by the way in which they order their life, they are begging for attention. They are screaming. They are screaming, maybe not vocally, but they are screaming for love. They are screaming for attention. I would dare to say that there are many, if not most, even premarital sexual relationships that happen, uh, of course, all before marriage. And what it boils down to, it's somebody that's searching for love. Amen. Somebody for searching for love. Uh, some, some girls are searching for the love in a male boy that they didn't find in their father. Some females... Amen. Or males are looking for a love in a girl that they didn't find in their mother. And many times they lead down these slippery paths of doing what they do prior to marriage. And what it is, is a search or a cry for somebody to love them. Amen. Things that people do to their bodies. Uh-huh. People that, that they do to their bodies uh, is an attempt to be noticed. An attempt to be noticed. An attempt to get the attention of somebody. Amen. They're starving for the attention of someone, and they don't care how they get it. They don't care how they, they get it. They're not, they're not even choosy in the type of attention that they get. Because many of them, in their estimation, some attention is better than no attention at all, even if it's bad attention, so to speak, as long as they're getting some attention from somebody, anybody, someone. And so whenever we are submerged as a church in that type of society, we are really poised for success. Because although they are not saying, we need you, they are, by the way in which they are living their life, saying they need someone to pay attention, someone to love, someone to sit down and listen. Amen. They need that. The Bible says in Romans 13 and verse number 8, it says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Verse 10 states this, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I love these verses of scripture. He starts out in verse 8. He says, don't owe any man anything. Don't owe any man anything. Don't, don't owe him a, a debt. Don't owe him a debt of returning money or borrowed goods or don't owe man anything but then he puts in an exception there he says but 
to love one another. Don't owe a debt to anyone except the debt of loving them and keeping on loving them. Amen. Don't owe them the return of a borrowed item. Don't, 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 don't be victim in that, that, that mindset. But always owe them love. Always owe them love. Never finish paying that debt of love. Amen. Not that, well, I love them to, to a degree, and then that kind of caps it off. And we're saying, no, no, no. It's always loving them, continuing to loving them. Never, never be in a place where you feel like you have repaid the debt of love to anyone. Amen. That last phrase in verse number 10 is always interpreted. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Uh, it is interpreted love is the only law you need. Love's the only law that you need. The questions that were asked, amen, of God or Jesus Christ, rather, which is God manifested in the flesh. In New Testament scripture, the law you're asked, which are the greatest commandments? Which are the greatest commandments? You remember that he replies to thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. He told them to love God and love, love people, which were the greatest commandments. He said all the other commandments, uh, the 613 that are in the uh, Old Testament and other places, all the other commandments hung up on those two. And so we understand then how he could say then that love is the fulfilling of the law. If all the others hang up on those and the common thought, the common chord, the theme that is similar in both of those is this, whether it's people or God, it's love. Then we understand how love in and of itself then is then mainly the only law that we need. As a matter of fact, if we are, if we get love right, if we get love right among ourselves and us also to the world. If we get love right, we have, if you will, fulfilled the law. We have fulfilled the laws of God if we get love right. Someone say love. love. Amen. If we get love right. Galatians 5.14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen. There's a reason we need to love as God loves. First of all, the people that walk into the doors of this church most likely, most likely will never have experienced unconditional love before. Because unconditional love, listen to me, cannot be generated by humanity unless that humanity is filled with the spirit of God. Unconditional love then, when they walk through these doors, it's a good chance unless they've come in contact with a spirit-filled, a God-filled, a love-filled, an unconditional love-filled person, then they've never experienced what they will experience when they walk in these doors. So whenever we tout that we have something that no one else has, we're not lying we're not trying to build a great advertisement campaign in order to get people here. We're telling the absolute truth. Because whenever we receive the spirit of God, we have spirit, received the spirit of unconditional love. And so when they walk in these places, Brother Howard, in this building, they should be able to experience something they've never experienced before. And that is the unconditional love of God. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. <laughs> and so no doubt. 
if they experience that, they're going to want more of that because people entered here. We know this. Let's just bring it to our minds. Remembrance again. They entered here many times. They are here battered. Many times people come the first time. The reason why they ever go to a house of God is because there's some unfulfilled need in their life. David in the Psalms, he writes, he starts one of the Psalms and he says, he said basically in his affliction, it was his affliction that drove him to the house of the Lord. Amen. It was affliction that drove him to the house of the Lord. Folks, we, we are not much different from David. The world is not much different from David. They will reach out to the church, come to the church many times. Their first time, yeah, someone may have invited them, but the propelling factor really behind them coming is this. There's some unfulfilled need in their life. There's an unfulfilled need in their life. They've been battered by life. They've been knocked around by life. Their self-esteem has been shot. Maybe through childhood, even into adulthood. They are on the lowest of low, and they're coming in somewhere. And what they need is to feel the unconditional love of God. And what's great about that is this. That love doesn't depend upon Paul McGee, but I just got to be a conduit through which his love Yeah, that's not so much based upon First Apostolic Church as it is us surrendering to him to be a conduit. Right? Every, every pipe in your house that brings water to your sink, you ever just, you know, wash your hands off, suddenly lay your hand on that faucet, thank you, Jesus, for this faucet that's bringing the water. <laughs> that water came from a source. That faucet was just a means to get the source to you. You trace those pipes and it's going underneath your house and around and it hits this line that goes out to a main. And you, if you keep following that, you're going to find the source. Folks, we are not the source, but we are a means by which we can get the source to where it needs to be. And we just allow the unconditional love of God that we have received in our life to pass through our life to reach somebody else. Amen. And so they'll come in all types, all kinds, and that's okay, and that's fine. Paul, in his letter, his first letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, first, the, the church at Corinth had a lot of problems. The church at Corinth was, was really a mess, had a lot to deal with. Uh, it would be good for us to do a series on First and Second Corinthians. Amen. There's a lot of mess in the First Corinthian church. There were divisions in the church. There was fornication going on in the church. People were taking each other to court, suing one another in the church. All kinds of mess that was going. On. A lot of confusion. A lot of chaos that was happening in the Corinthian church. And Paul told them, though, in First Corinthians eight one, Paul told them that charity. Here's what he said. He said charity. He said edifieth. In other words. Love builds up. Love builds up. One translator said this. What is really needed to build the church is love. And so Paul, listen, he's dealing with division. He's dealing with fornication. He's dealing with all of this chaos. People trying to sue one another in the church at Corinth. And he said, it might be the band-aid that covers all things here. He said, charity edifieth. Love builds up. Up. He says, we got all this stuff going on. We got broken broken relationships among y'all. We got fights. We got bickering. We got people that's fornicating. We have all these divisions. He says, it's because the people are broken down. He said, everything's broken down because the people are broken down. He said, what we need is the genuine love of God. 
amen, to be expressed between one another and those that are not yet a part of your church in order to build the people up. And he says, if we could get that, that oil of love going among you, he said, it'd bring harmony back to you. Huh? Bring harmony back to you. It caused some of these various situations of chaos and stuff to subside. If we could just get love back in there. And so he's so convinced, Paul is so convinced about the power of the love of God that, that he ends his letter to them in saying this. Let all your things be done with charity. Let all your things be done with charity or love. Romans fifteen seven. The Bible says, wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Jesus Christ is not picky on who comes to him for redemption. doesn't respect one coming to him for redemption more than another that's coming to him for redemption. And the Bible says we are to receive one another as Christ has received us. If he is not respected and who comes to him for redemption, then we need to receive people with the same type of mentality. It would be sad for us to refuse someone coming to God for salvation whenever he's willing to accept them. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. Wouldn't it be a sad story for us to eschew or pull, pull, push one at arm distance that he's trying to pull into his arms? See, that's the difference between his love and our love. The ones we would push away, he will bring in close. The one that we say is, there's no hope, it's a lost cause, he brings in close. The one that mistreats us and says everything under the sun about the first apostolic church, and we say, well, bless God, they find another church to go to, he brings in close. The Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon in your Bibles, it's a poem. In reality, it's presented in the scriptures almost as a dialogue between a man and a woman and sometimes some third parties. But there are two main characters in the Song of Solomon. That is Solomon himself and the woman that he is in love with called the Shulamite. And many times when we look at the Song of Solomon, it's broken down as almost like a type. That Solomon is a type of Christ and then the Shulamite is a type as the bride of Christ or the church. And so the Bible tells us that Solomon uh, wrote and was author of 1,005 songs he authored. But the Song of Solomon was the best song. It was called the Song of Songs in Hebrew, meaning that it was exalted way beyond any of the other 1,004 songs. This was the best of songs. It was the best musical work that he had ever done. It was the finest song, and it was a song about love. It was a song about love, and the, and the love that Solomon had for the Shulamite, the love that he had was the love that he had even before she was his wife. And it is also displaying the, the love that Christ has for his church or for his bride, even before she is his bride. And the Bible states this concerning this relationship, 
between Solomon and the Shulamite. Song of Solomon chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the Shulamite speaking. She says, I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar and as the curtains of Solomon. She says, look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Here is the Shulamite. Here is, if you will, quote, unquote, the church. She's saying to Solomon, or she's saying, if you will, we are saying to Christ, don't look upon me because I am black. She, she is insecure because she has been a worker out here in the vineyard of everybody else's vineyard except herself. She's been involved in a lot of escapades except things that concerned her. And as a result, in a very literal sense of being out in the sun, her skin has become very dark, very coarse, very leather-like because she's been out here. And see, she's insecure about that. She's saying, don't look upon me because of what the, 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 my lot in life my lot in life has brought me to this place that I am just, my skin is very dark, it's very leather-like, and she was insecure about who she had been. She's insecure about her past. She's become suntanned, she's blackened, she's a vine grower, amen. She's, she's poised in a very rustic environment. She's in the vineyards where dirt is and water is and worms and bugs and all this stuff. I mean, compared to Solomon, who is a king in a palace, Who's a king with all the pomp and the clout of a kingdom. Amen. She's saying, don't look at, you know, you're so great. You're a king. She says, and here am I. I I'm just a, I got dirt under my fingernails. I go home at the end of the day and I don't smell well. Don't, don't look upon me. Here, folks, listen. Listen, please. It is the scenario of the church and those wanting to know God. Because many times people have this idea of God. Well, God is just way out there. He's somewhere far. He's so grand. He's so great. And all of that is true. That's true. But God is willing, as he did with the lady that was caught in, with, in the very act of adultery, he's willing to bend down and get his hands in the dirt too, though. And so some have this idea, here's me, I know my past, I know where I've been living, I got dirt under my fingernails too. I got a life that has the mark, if you will, of my surroundings, my environment, what I've been doing for all these, God, I know that I'm nothing to you. We as the church has to, we got to bridge the gap because people got the idea concerning that and we need to relate to them that God is great, he is powerful, he is wonderful, he is the king of the universe, but he is also the God that made him Himself a man and took upon him the sin of humanity so he could bridge the gap and reach down to the soil. There's people that come to churches. I've heard it more than once in my life. God, God's not going to love me. And they begin to give you the list of why he won't. Because I've done this, I've chose this, I did that, blah, 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 blah. God is not going to love me because all of that. See, that's people that's never been exposed to the unconditional agape love of God. Because they believe love toward them is based upon performance. They believe love toward them is based upon keeping a little card and making the checkoff box. No, no, no. The love of God says, I've seen your fault, but I love you. I've seen you in your sin, but I loved you. Amen. He loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Not in a perfect form, but in a form far from him. He said, I love. Yes. 
gave his life for us. So the Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. So she's insecure, but he goes on. He retorts to her. Look at verse 7, Song of Solomon 4 and 7. So she's insecure. She's feeling, you know, about her way. And I want to back up to a certain degree. And there's nothing wrong to a certain degree with her feeling that way either. Because there should be a certain element of being in the presence of God to feel his greatness and to feel our smallness. But the problem is whenever we feel like there can't be no interaction as a result of those two. But nevertheless, look what he says to her then. His response to what she has just said. He says, thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot. There is no spot. Almost turning a little British on you here. There's no spot. <laughs> Might keep your interest more if I did that. I could do that. There is no spot in thee. He says, there's no spot in thee. In other words, he's saying, there's no flaw in thee. He spoke to the insecurities of her past life, what that imposed on her. He says, there is no spot in thee. Well, clearly, she's been out there in the vineyard. Clearly, the sun has, has leathered her skin. Clearly, how in the world, how in the world, Solomon, can you, can you say this with any with any measure of integrity. Well, well, look at Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse number 4. Solomon chapter number 2 and verse number 4. The Bible says, she says, this is the Shulamite, she says, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was, can you read that last word? His banner over me was love. <laughs> He's telling her, there, there's, no, there's no spot in thee. You're fair, my love. And the reason why he can say this with integrity is because his banner was over her. And it was love. Solomon's banner, if I will today, Christ's banner over us was love. Does that banner, does that banner remove the fact that the Shulamite skin had been weathered by the circumstances of her life? No. But what that banner means is this, that in spite of our perfections, he still chooses to love us. He sees us through his love. And here's what that means. When Christ, whenever Solomon seen her through his love, he could say, you are fair. I, I love you. There's no spot in you. Because whenever he looks through his love, he doesn't see her as she is. He sees her as she will be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Folks, can you imagine the dynamic change of every individual that walked through these doors you would look at to what they could be? Huh? Consider just some of yourselves today. Look where you are now, whatever, 20 years removed or such. Look where you are today. 
Imagine whenever you first walked through our doors, whatever condition that you was in, if we looked there and said, you know what? I see, I see two Sunday school teachers right there. I mean, what, what Psalm is saying, she comes in, her skin is leathered, she's got dirt under her fingernails, her clothes are a little ratty because she's all the time in the vineyard. He has all that, but as she's coming, he says, you know what I see? I see a queen with a stately crown on her head, with a robe around her shoulders, with the best of perfume. Love! Love! Takes that perspective. Love! I know, I know people love this, and I love it when it happens, too. Sometimes you'll hear pastors or you'll hear uh, ministry people that stand up. We have guests, and it, it, it happened uh, at camp. I think I wasn't at one of the services, but people start, they stand up that are ministers such, and they tell you where they were, B.C., before Christ. And I see people's mouths, jobs, they're like, you got to be kidding me. How in the world? It's because the unconditional love of God. Yeah, they were that or yeah, they were this. But his banner over them was love. Amen. An unconditional love. And he seen what they could be. The old song says, he saw not what I was, but he saw what I could be. And we need to adopt that type of vision, that type of perspective, along with the Lord of everybody that walks into this place. I know who they are. I know what their past is. I know what they represent in this community but God help me to see them as you see them help me to see them through that banner of love he sees through his love and so the song of Solomon is it's one of those five scrolls one of the five scrolls that was read by the Jews at, at various feasts this one in particular, the Song of Solomon, was oftentimes read at Passover. At Passover. The reason why is the fact that this Song of Solomon is a song of love. And the fact that it is presented as a dialogue between a man and a woman that he is in love with but not yet married to. It underscores the importance of this, of communication and developing a deep and abiding relationship that it is important to have communication to develop relationships. Once you catch that. I don't know if there's anybody here that's been married 10 years and you never communicated with the one that you're married to right now. All right? For that matter, if you're among your family and you never communicate with other parts of your family, if that's not happening, they probably call that an estranged relationship. Because communication is important, developing deep, meaningful, abiding relationships. Amen. Right? What happens by communication? You get to know someone, don't you? Huh? And I know sometimes the TMMI, or no, that's toilet in it. <laughs> TMI, too much information. But if there's no communication, you don't know someone. And whenever that comes to the more shy or skittish people, it's going to be a long life. In order to have relationship, in order to have abiding relationships, in order to have connection with one another, we got to communicate to one another. 
got to communicate to one another. Amen. I say that to say this. Because people come in our doors. Yes, they need to experience the unconditional love of God. But they also need to experience some means of communication. I know that's really generic in general. But they need some means of communication. And uh, <laughs> it's good that that happens more so than just a drive-by communicating. Kind of like a drive-by shooting. You know, they got hit, don't know where it came from, who it came from. <laughs> For instance, this can be the gist of it sometime. Pat, you just knew you came to our church first time. God bless you, brother. So glad to have you today. Hope you enjoy yourself, sirs. Now I acknowledged him, shook his hand, made eye contact with him. Now let me tell you something. There was really nothing meaningful about that at all. I knew your name, but what's your name? Pat. Do you live here in Mount Carmel? Yeah. Do you work here in the close and surrounding areas? You you do Duke? How long have you worked? You see what I'm doing here? Now, whenever he says Duke, and if I work there too, well, I work at Duke too. I've worked there 50 years. Bless God, I make $50 an hour. And uh, whenever you switch the conversation from being about them to about being about you, Turned off. Love says I'm more interested in you than you needing to be interested in me. This is real, just real basic. But whenever I walk away, I hope that Pat's going to think, you know what? He was interested in me as a person. Matter of fact, there's nothing I said in that conversation that was spiritual at all. But he's interested in me as a person. Amen. And so I'm asking us then as a church family, we're to love as God loves. That we communicate beyond with one another that we know. <laughs> I know that's scary. Listen, by, by virtue of personality, and that's before we even start our leadership stuff, I knew, I'm an I'm a introvert. All right? I evangelized for six years and I was an introvert. But you just sometimes got to go through the door and make yourself uncomfortable. Me being uncomfortable by doing that, who knows how uncomfortable they are whenever they walk through church house and 50 some odd people look back at them and it's like the new boy that just showed up in the neighborhood. Is everybody doing okay today? Amen. We need to communicate. And so with that being said, and this is important, I think this is vitally important, please get to know people's names. Seriously, please get to know people's names. I have been in settings where I've mentioned someone's name that has come here more than once, and people looked at me and said, who is that? And I said, it's the person that has been sitting on such and such road that's came here the past few Sundays. Get to know people's names. Amen. And so we need to love one another. And with that, we need to communicate with one another. And I, when I say one another, I mean with those that come into the house of the Lord. Michael W. Smith, years ago, he wrote a song, said, love is not love. Until you give it away. The lyrics are after this fashion. He says, we can entertain compassion for a world in need of care. But the road of good intentions doesn't lead to anywhere. He said, because love isn't love. Till you give it away, y'all, you got to give it away. He said, there was a man who walked on water. He came to set the people free. He was the ultimate example of what love can truly be. Because his love was his life 
and he gave it away. You got to give it away. In 1 John chapter number 4, I'm, I'm hastening today because I know they're supposed to be coming out. In 1 John chapter number 4, in verse 9, 1 John chapter 4, period, love's mentioned like 27 times. Man, it's a big love chapter. Verse number 19 says, we love him, speaking of God, because he first loved us. We loved him because he first loved us. That's how the relationship with God worked. He loved and then we loved him. All right. And so I think we're. We're a little bit backwards then if we think. Well, when they love us, we'll love them. No, he loved us and then we loved him. You know, <laughs> I'm not not saying that we're prideful, but it's I mean, what's not to love? I mean, Sister Cox, what's not to love around here? You know, what's not to love about us, Brother Terry? Come on. I know, Sister Rhonda, what's not to love about you? Sometimes, you know, you've been here 15 years, and you've, you've made connections. You've had the communication. Huh? You had the history. What's not to love? <laughs> it don't work that way. When you come here as not knowing anybody, never made connection to anybody, never communicated with anybody, you got to love them. You got to love them. Amen. If people loved God simply because he first loved them, then I can't think for a moment that as a church that we are any better than God. Amen. Human love was a response to divine love. And so if we want them to love us, we must actively, intentionally demonstrate divine love of God to them in order for them to reciprocate that and love us back. If you stand with me today. The book of Philemon, and I'll close with this. The book of Philemon is a story of the love of God, the love of God tested, the love of God put under a microscope. Philemon hosted a church in his home, as many of them did in those times. Philemon, he loved, he trusted, he showed kindness to people, particularly God's people. Verse number five of Philemon tells us that, that he, showed, he showed love toward all saints, Verse 7 even tells us that due to the love of Philemon that the saints were refreshed because of his love. Verse number 9 tells us that the Apostle Paul had consulted Philemon on a matter. The matter was Onesimus, someone who had been a slave. But, but he asked Philemon, he said, for the sake of love, he said, would you receive him back into your home, your church, your family? Would you receive him back there as a brother? Would you receive him back as a brother? And Paul, being the preacher, the elder that he was, he could have demanded that of Philemon, but he did not. He just beseeched him on the platform of love. Would you receive him back as a brother? Because Paul knew one thing concerning Philemon. He knew that he would do more than what Paul asked for concerning Onesimus. Because his life, Philemon's life, what it had been like, was one that was predicated upon this theme and this idea of love. So Paul knows whenever I send 
Onesimus back to Philemon. I'll ask something to Philemon, but Philemon will even go above bar because he is a man whose life is predicated upon the love of God. I want God. I desire God that he has that type of mentality for the first apostolic church. That God would be able in the heavens to say, you know what? I know. I know where I'm going to send that person that's in the gutter. I know where I'm going to send that person that's been taken advantage of of their life. You know where I'm going to send them? I'm going to send them to the first apostolic church because I know their life is predicated on love. And they won't just do what I ask for them to do, but they'll go above and they will go beyond because they love as I love. Griffith Thomas says God's love is spontaneous in its source, universal in its scope, long-suffering in its intensity, self-sacrificing in character, aggressive in action, and constant in duration. It's to love as God loves. Through the next few Sunday mornings outside of our revival Sunday morning, we're just going to be looking at this again because we gotta, we got to repeat this. we got to bring this to our mind's attention, to the attention of our church. Amen. But we need to be loving people as God loves them. We need to be loving them as God loves them. If we bow our heads all across this place this morning. Hallelujah. And these altars are open. And it, it would be a good thing, you know, even to come forward this morning and ask God. God, help us. Help us be the church that you want in Mount Carmel. It'd be good for us to come forward this morning and say, God, Whatever it was that you had in your mind, whenever you formed the church, God, we want to be a mirror image of that in our city and in our town and among these people. God, that love that you had, that love that you expressed, Lord, through your humanity when you walked among men, God, but now you have ascended. Lord, help us to have that same expression that you would have if you was walking here still yet in shoe leather today. Help us, Lord, to display that. Help us, God, to exercise that. Help us, God, to be the church that you can look down upon and say, you know what, I can entrust them with people. I can entrust them with souls. I can entrust them with people of all different walks of life because I know they're going to love them as I would love them. Hallelujah. Can we come forward today, those of you that would wish to participate? God, help me, Lord, to be the church. Help me to be the church you want me to be. Help me to be the church you want me to be. God, even whenever it makes me uncomfortable as a person at times, whenever it goes against the Lord Jesus, perhaps what my makeup, Lord, has been by nature or nurture, God, help me, Lord Jesus, to be what you want me to be as the church. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I want to be your voice, oh God. I want to be your voice, oh God. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Help me, Jesus, today. Hallelujah. Can we talk to the Lord for a little while in the closure of this Sunday morning service? Now, we're not done yet. We still have some things to take care of before we leave this place. But this is a very important time right here. This is, this is us as a group of people looking introspectively at ourselves as the church. And we're saying, uh, we say, we say, we herald that we love as God loves. Am I meeting the mark? Am I going above the mark? Am I far below the mark? Where am I? Can you, can you just look at yourself on a gauge concerning what we are propagating? Where, where are we today? 
today? Where are you as an individual? Where are we collectively? Where where are we? Can we do better? Are we doing the best that we can? Are we falling far below? God, search me today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's talk to the Lord this morning. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.